listening to the One Lord, One Hope, One Faith podcast. Welcome to episode three. We're your hosts, Savannah and Callan. I know last time we told you we were going to talk about 1 John 2 and prayer, but we decided to switch it up. And instead, we're going to talk about God's love and 1 John 2. So first up, God's love. Callan, do you want to go first? Um, Sure. Okay, so in doing some research about this, I actually remember lots of Christmases um, when I was little, when we would do the Jesse tree. And so, like, the Jesse tree is, it actually has a book that goes along with it, and it actually talks all about how the entire Bible is a love story. Um, so everything that happens, all the Bible so the all the Bible stories, you know, as a little kid, um, they're actually they go so much deeper than what they appear. They are they are this incredible story that goes and leads up to the greatest act of love all time, which is Jesus. Jesus and his birth, Jesus and his ministry, his death, his resurrection and his ascension. So, yeah, I think that's, that being um, said, go ahead. I think that's something that, like, my parents and their generation who just grew up hearing David and Goliath and Jonah, and that was it. It was just, here's this random Bible story. They don't see how the Bible is all connected and it all points to Christ and what he exactly. did. And you're basically missing the whole point. Like, my dad was, like, he was an adult when he realized that the Israelites that were in Egypt were the same Israelites that were in David and Goliath. Like, they were all the same Israelites. Like, he didn't realize, oh, wait, these are the same, this is the same, like, country, I guess. Not really a country back then. People. Anyway, so continue. Anyway, and so I, I really hadn't realized that, like, the whole how much of the Bible honestly revolves around love until like this past year, but everything goes back to it. Oh yeah. It's like love is constantly. the theme of the Bible. The overall theme. It, it never stops. It's love your neighbor. Love is the greatest of these. Love the least of these. And you know what it really does? It makes you pause and think about, wait, are we really doing what we're supposed to be doing? You know, like, this is obviously love is such a huge, important theme. And how are we doing really fulfilling that? Mm -hmm. And I think when, this is actually might tie into what I'm, what I have down for First John 2, I think. Me too. But, well, First John is all about love. But. Yeah. It, we. Okay, so I was thinking about it and partially this book that you gave me. But, like, Jesus, we don't think of ourselves as God's enemies, you know? Yeah. But we don't realize, like, we're sinful human beings, and sin is the opposite of God. So we are God's enemies until we accept him as our Savior. That's exactly right. when Jesus, because I never thought of it this way, and it, like, blew my mind. But Jesus, when he tells us to love our enemies, because— you know, I always kind of thought of it as, oh, you know, Satan's God's enemy, obviously. And yeah. I mean, God doesn't love Satan. Like, well, of course not. 
But like when Jesus says, love your enemies, he's not just telling us that. Like he lived that out. He did the greatest act of love in love for his enemies and like us, like we are God's enemies until we accept him. And when he tells us to love our enemies, he's not just telling us that, like he lived that out and he's the greatest example of that ever, mm-hmm. you know? Cause it kind of, I mean, I hadn't really thought of it before too deeply, but it's like, oh, well, God doesn't really have any enemies other than Satan. And so yeah. it's like, well, how can we look at Jesus and be like, I mean, like technically like the Pharisees kind of, but you never really think of it and are like, oh, wait, that the greatest act of love ever was out of love for his enemies. And that just like blew my mind. Yeah. Wow. I've never actually thought of it that way because, you know, today in today's society, it's really pushed that, oh, we're, we're children of God and where he loves us. And of course, yes, that's true. But what doesn't get talked about a lot is um really how much wrong we're doing oh yeah you know, it's all much, love 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 and we don't do anything wrong right, and you're like exactly but we do do wrong and yeah like you can't just tell image, half the story a lot of things a lot of times it it talks all about his love but never actually mentions his wrath but if you go back in the bible um a couple times in psalms it really talks about like the wrath of God, like there's different types of prayers and one prayer, one kind of prayer, let me find it where it says it. It's called, um, imprecation. And it's actually a prayer of judgment. Like, not like I'm judging you, but like the judgment of God, calamity, and even curses upon your enemies. So think about that. If that's something that you can pray for, which kind of sounds wrong when I think about it, but is that something you can pray for? Think about the hugeness of the wrath of God, you know? Yeah, and it's, I think people look at God and they just want to see God, love. And like, mm-hmm. yes, God is love. He, he is love, 100%. He is love itself. But, you know, there's a verse in Proverbs and it's like, if he doesn't discipline, like love by itself is not you have to live out that love. And if you do, you just let somebody do whatever they want and, you know, just do their own right. thing. That's not actually love because you're letting them do stuff that will harm them. Oftentimes, you know, like, I'm sure your parents have said it, but my parents have said several times, um, like, when they discipline me or my siblings, like, this discipline is because we love you. Is It is because we don't want you to go down the wrong path. Oh it's yeah, hundred percent. We're gonna we're gonna take you and we're gonna correct you, but be in being corrected, you have to remember, you know. Yeah, I think and that's what just, people. I don't think society today grasps that grasps that like love is a punishment and it's bad. Like punishment and bad things do not mean that the, someone doesn't love you. Like when bad things happen to you, that doesn't mean God loves you. That means he loves you enough to let these bad things happen to you because they're going to shape you into the person you need to be. And they're going to bring you closer to him. Hopefully. If it's you sometimes like with little siblings, when um you tell them and tell them and tell them not to do this thing and you know that it couldn't seriously hurt them. And so like you let them just do it one more time. And then it's like the natural consequence. Oh, yeah. of it. And it's you like know, you have to, 
you have to love them enough to allow them to learn. Yeah. And it's like, and you know, then you have to be like, okay, now you have to go to your room because you did that. Right. or, And then they're yep. kicking and screaming and calling you a meanie brat. And you're like, oh, guess yeah. what? One day you're going to thank me for this. And that is literally yep. the most aggravating thing. Yep. <laughs> you're like, no, I'm not. <laughs> but like one day when you have kids, because like when you have kids or when you have your little siblings and you're going to do this and they're going to be mad at you. But I feel like such a parent saying this, man. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) All the big sisters out there are like so relatable. (laughs) Anyway, but yeah, I think we can't simply say God is love without also coming along and saying, well, God is a jealous God and God is God who must punish sin, sin because he's a just God and he's a God who has wrath. And you can't deny parts of God and just pick and choose the ones you like. So the aspect of God's love that I focused on the most, I would say, I mean, all aspects of his love are good and they're Mm -hmm. perfect and they're super important. But I think this one is really important and it's how God's love is steadfast. And I feel like that's a word that not everybody knows the meaning to. So I went ahead and looked it up. And just, I wanted to make sure I had like the actual meaning. So Mm -hmm. steadfast means not subject to change. So some synonyms would be unwavering, loyal, constant, dedicated, committed, reliable. And so I think, I was just thinking like God's love is never going to change. Like it's Mm -hmm. never going to change. It never, it doesn't falter. It doesn't way with how good or bad you are yes and it's It's like okay so you know there's like the different kinds of love in the bible Mm -hmm. um okay so i'm looking into that today and i'm like oh this is so cool and agape is always first on the list because obviously that's the one most used in the bible but um agape love it actually means unconditional Mm -hmm. And and then unconditional it means the same exact thing. It means it doesn't change and it doesn't waver and it doesn't depend on how good you are because we're never going to be good enough. Yeah. And I think that, so I was thinking about love a while ago and I was thinking about how different aspects of God's love are modeled out in the relationships around us. And when I was thinking about like the unconditional steadfastness of God's love, Mm -hmm. what relationship like that, is modeled for us and I think is the relationship between us and our parents because you did absolutely nothing to earn your parents love like you were just born and they love you for it and I think that that was it's so important because nothing I could do would make my parents go I don't love you anymore oh yeah and that is like Knowing that that comes from our Heavenly Father as well. And it is literally the supreme, like, I don't care how bad you are. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you hate me. I Mm -hmm. still love you. And I'm still loved you enough to die for you. And that's never going to change. And that, I was thinking, like, it's, so, this is going to go on a little detour, but it's still related, so. So um, my little sister was reading this book 
it was like this devotion book for her and my mom or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it had this video on Right Now Media. And it was, I forget the name of it. I If I figure it out, I'll put it in the description. But, and it was just going through the Bible. And it was just stopping at every point. And it's, they did this and God could have given up on them. God could have mm-hmm. said, hang it all, just, I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to die for them. I don't want to love them. They're just too bad. And over and over and over, he didn't. And that was just, you know, when it's like little things and big truths, it's just like over and over when God could have, like, when literally there was one righteous family on earth, God Mm could have been like, I mean, really? Noah, who cares? (laughs) Like, you're not good enough anyway. I mean... Yeah. Just for, like, he could have destroyed everyone, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. He kept his promise. He kept all of his promises. He he still came. And I was thinking, like, how overwhelmed, like, we cannot fathom the love of God. Because when we're mad at somebody, who boy, does not, we do not feel love towards that person in oh, that yeah. moment. Like, it's it's rough. And you're like, I would have given up on us. Like, I would have given up mm-hmm. and been like, forget them. I'm so tired of dealing Without with their junk. You know? Like, yeah. I feel that all the time. I'm like, I'm so tired of dealing with you right now. Like, just. It's like, I'm over it. Like, I'm over it. Done. Exactly. And then it's there's God who wasn't. Like, his people. Literally, he brings them out of Egypt. And the next thing you know, they're worshiping. Something they made, like a golden calf. And yeah, I mean, do you know how fed up I would have been? I'd be like, do you even have, like, what is wrong with your memory, people? And God was like, I still love you for that. I still love you, even though you did this. I'm still going to save you. I'm still going to send my son. Mm-hmm. He's still going to die on the cross, even though you are some messed up people. And that was just I feel like that should be at the center of our worship and that like worship and thanksgiving is the Mm -hmm. only right response we can have to that. And just Mm -hmm. thinking like, wow, I am that Israelite who's worshiping something that I should not be 10 seconds after God has just done something amazing for me. (laughs) And all I can do is think about what I want. Or what's, like, oftentimes I'll catch myself, I'll be sitting in, like, what more can I ask for? You know, I'll just be sitting in blessings, and all I can think about is the one thing that isn't exactly the way I want it. Oh, yeah. It's, and then then I'm like, oh my gosh, Callan, like, what is actually wrong with you? Like, count your blessings. (laughs) Which is such a good song. And we don't count our blessings enough today in society. It's always, I oh, want no. more. And yeah. when guys, when we say society, most of the time we're talking about us. Like we're yeah. not all like, oh, all those sinners out there. And then there's us. Just yeah. so you know, we're not like blaming the rest of the world for all the problems. <laughs> it really, like it is a legit problem. And we're always, we always are re- want the next newest thing and the next newest iPhone and whatever. And 
Uh, I just read a quote on this, and I think it was by Spurgeon. I think. Might not be. He's good. He is good, yeah. And I actually might can find it. Hold on. But it was like, we're always saying if we just had a little bit more, we'd be happy. Oh, yeah. But if you had that little bit more, you, like, if you're not happy with what you have, you're not going to be happy when it's doubled. Oh, yeah. Okay, here it is. It says, you say, if I had a little more, I should be very satisfied. You make a mistake. If you are not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. And I think, you know, gratitude is, gratitude is so under, like, nobody, I feel like we're always so caught up with what somebody else has and what we want, and we forget to sit and say thank you to God. Like, say thank you to God that you are not, that's books that you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so thankful that I'm not in that situation right now. Like, the hiding place. And literally, Mm -hmm. you're sitting there reading this book in your nice, comfy home, in your nice, clean clothes, in your air conditioning, having just eaten a great meal, slept in a great bed. And you're reading about Corrie Boom, who's in a concentration camp. And then next thing you know, you're like, well, I mean, if I just had that iPhone, I would be really happy. Yep. Or in, you know, in this situation, I, I would have done better. Oh yeah. You know, that those two things go hand in hand, the being unsatisfied and the judgment. And we'll save judgment for another day because I could talk forever about that. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, judgment, comparison. And I feel yeah. like we are such ungrateful like creatures. And oh yeah. Us, that's all of us. Sorry if I stepped on somebody's toes there. But it's true. And like you know those people who you just like, man, they are so thankful for everything. Mm-hmm. You're like, I wish I could be like that. And then the next thing you know, you find yourself like, I can't believe they did that. I'm so mad. And it's like yep. a constant struggle. It's like, I feel like, like the struggle is real, people. I almost feel, I almost am sad to think because like the people the people who are just so grateful and just like so in tune with God, those are the people that stand out. But that's, that's just not how it should be. They shouldn't be the quote special ones, you know? Yes. I think that is something God to talk about that. But I think Especially among people our age, I feel like there's not any pressure to be close to God. Oh, yeah. Like, we're not old. You're not old enough to have problems that you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm not old enough to have to pay my own bills and be like, God, I can't make ends meet. I need your help. And I feel like when we, we depend on our parents for all of our stuff, and then there's no reason. Like, we're not... Does that make sense? Like, we're not, we're not. And God, God tells us like, hey, you're going to be different. You're going to be set apart and the world is going to hate you because they hated me first. But just because of that, that doesn't mean we have to sit there and just, you know, it's like we need, 
there's like you were saying, there's no push to like we're just so cushioned, like happy, so comfortable with being in this middle stage, in this lukewarm, not not oh, I don't believe in God, but then we're not in it with God. Like it's all or nothing, people. Yeah, I feel like especially living in the Bible belt, kids oh, yeah. are kids inherit religion. And religion's oh, just something yeah. like, oh well, you know, Granny May and we all we all go to church on Easter and you know, we pray before baseball. And it's like, but in today, I feel like schools and everything is getting so much worse to where we're gonna have to set firm ground in our and man, I'm going to sound like a parent again. And our kids, like, you're going to have to be firm in your faith. Or by the time you get out of school, you're not going to have any left. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, we're not, you're not being, we're so comfortable and we have such a comfortable life. And so we're not, if we're not being, rooted in Christ the little things come up and you know they're just little and then little things there's more of them and then they become bigger and then you look back and you're like where was that faith I had when I prayed that prayer in VBS there has to be there has to come a point in your life when you have to that inherited religion when you when you have to decide that it's your own yes you know definitely because you know, if your faith is just your parents' faith, well, your parents aren't going to be beside you 24-7. Like, when you go off to college, your parents aren't going to be there. And it's got to be your own, or the world is just going to be too strong. And I feel like people who aren't rooted in Christ, and then they go out there, they stand no chance, because they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I wear a cross necklace. And then some atheist comes up and is like, well, I mean, do you really know your Bible? And do you know this? And do you know this? And this doesn't make sense. And science says this. And when all that kid knows is David and Goliath and all these little stories, then there's not going to be like, they're going, their faith is going to be gone and it's going to be too late. And we can try to get those people back, but at the end of the day, we, and here now I sound like a parent again, but we need to get serious yep. and stop just leaving it to church. And man, now I sound like my parents, but, <laughs> um, so yeah. And not only um, like, not only parents get serious with your kids, it's like grandparents need to get serious with ourselves. Yes. You need to sit down and be like, okay is this what I truly believe or is this just something that's kind of, kind of there? It's just part of me, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. And I think in also in like Southern culture, everybody's a Christian, you know? Well, I, yeah, I know who Jesus is. Well, yeah. I mean, I've been to church. I went to BBS. Oh, I'm, I'm a Christian. And so There's no, yeah, we just, we need to get serious and we need to figure out, is this going to be my thing 
Is, am I going to actually commit to this? And am I going to dig deep in my Bible? And am I going to get close to God? Or am I going to just let this be my parents thing? Am I going to just be along for the ride and just be this lukewarm whatever? And there's actually like the a verse in Revelation that's like, because you were neither hot nor cold, but you were lukewarm. So I will yep. spit you out my mouth and I will have yep. nothing to do with you. That was the Savannah paraphrase. Yeah. <laughs> Something about spitting them out their mouths because they were lukewarm. So you can Google it. But we need to, if you're going to not, if you're going to be like, no, this is silly fairy tales and get off the mm-hmm. train, then do that. But the, you need to figure out what you believe. And I'm not saying right. you should do that. I obviously fully believe that you should get closer to God. But I don't think we need to have a bunch of people who don't know what they believe or why they believe it. Right. And Joanna at church, she talked about this one time. And basically, her whole takeaway was when you're lukewarm, all you're doing is confusing the mess out of the new believers who come to you thinking you're Christian, but you're neither hot nor cold. And so all you're doing is just confusing them. And then they're like, wait, if this is what this is going to be like, then I don't want any part of this, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. Anyway, now that we can, I can step right, off my little soapbox. We went off on like was, a 20 minute tangent. Yeah, that was, I, that was that was pretty impressive for a ta- as a tangent goes. I know. I guess. Was, I mean, it was an excellent tangent. Just kind of. Yeah. I mean, a tangent. Retitle the episode. Forget talking about God's love. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. About everything that's wrong with today's society. Okay. Yeah. We so. we're good at that, people. <laughs> anyway. Um. Yeah, that's about everything I have on God's love and. Yep. Southern culture. So let's move on to First John 2. Okay, so let's go to verse 1 through 2 because it sounds like we both have notes on that. All right, great. All right, so it actually, I'll just read the verse out loud. Um, we probably have different versions, but it's fine. Um, it says, my little children, I'm telling you this it's so that you will stay far away from sin. But if you sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the one who is all that is good and who pleases God completely. He is the one who took God's wrath against our sins upon himself and brought us into fellowship with God. And he is the forgiveness for our sins and not only ours, but the whole world. Okay, so think about that for a minute. Like the son of God had to face the, like his father's complete wrath. And, okay, think about this. God's glory is so great that any man who looks on him will die on the spot, right? So, think about it. Think about what his wrath is like. And who could withstand it outside of Christ? But Christ didn't have to. You know? And that's the thing. Like, we couldn't have withstood it. And that's why we were going to go and we were going to be eternally dead. Not only in our sin, but once we actually died, we were going to hell. And to think he was just, he came down here with us 
to save our ungrateful prodigal little tails just blows my mind. Yeah, what I think I took most out of those verses, and yeah, like you said, my Bible says like the per- how do I say that? He's the propitiation for our sins. Like he was the payment, I think is what that means. Yeah. I can't look it up right now. But I'll look it up for you. Hold on. Go ahead. But anyway, what I took most out of that was, and my version says, but if if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. Yep. And like I was thinking, like an advocate. So like when we pray and when we sin. Jesus is up there and he is advocating for us. He's pleading with the father. Like I, that's my, that's our child and I paid for their sins. So they don't have to pay for that one. They don't have to pay for any of them. I did it. So they didn't have to. And so that sin and then Jesus, not Jesus. God looks down and sees us. As righteous, like Christ. And that is just something that like when God looks at you, he sees his son and he sees because and Jesus is up there advocating for you. And he is on your side talking to God on your behalf when you pray, when you sin. And that just it was like, you know, the verses in the Bible that's like there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Yeah. Like when you pray. Jesus is like up there on your behalf. Yeah. He doesn't see us as what we are. He sees us as all that we were made to be and all that we. And all that he did. It's like. When God looks at you, he doesn't see the wretched, sinful human being you are. Yep. He sees the person that. That once you accept Christ, that you are in Christ. And he sees God's righteousness or Christ's righteousness. That payment that you don't have a spot on yours. Like you don't have a spot of sin on you because Christ paid for every single little sin you'll ever commit and ever have committed. And that is just, I feel like it's so... I don't know. It's so powerful and it's so free. And there's so many things that like we can't even get on into on here. We'll be talking forever. Yeah. Stop that um, right there before we go on another 500 hours. T- you know, tangent. I'm going to talk about this a lot coming up, but um, I, it, it first John kind of makes me laugh because John is so straightforward. He is definitely not one who's going to just like beat around the bush. Like, Oh, no, he's like, especially in, three and four when he says and how can we be sure that we belong to him by looking within ourselves are we really trying to do what he wants us to do someone may say i'm a christian i'm on the way to heaven i belong to christ but if he doesn't do what christ tells him he is a liar and i'm like well there you go oh yeah like tom not tom john (laughs) don't know where tom came from he's like literally like bro look at yourself if you are you living like jesus and I mean, sadly, we all have to say no to that because you're not perfect. Yeah. And neither am I. But he's like, if you're not, then you need to you need to figure out like. And I also think if it's not 
partially it's not if you're living just like Jesus, because that's never going to happen because you're not perfect. Of course. But do you desire to? Do you try? Mm -hmm. Like God looks at our hearts. And my mom uses the illustration like if. If. Um, Jeremiah, th- these are my brothers, walks up to Jonathan and push, just shoves him. Just yeah. walks up and pushes him because he wants to be mean. God's going to look at his heart and be like, eh, no, that's not. But if Jeremiah sees a car coming and shoves Jonathan out of the way, well, Jeremiah's heart was good, even if his action was no different. Does that make sense? Of so course. we need to look at our hearts and figure out, do I want, am I trying Am I putting forth effort? Am I praying that God would help me to live like him? Like, I feel like, especially like if you're saved and you're not serious about like, I was eight. We were just talking. Yeah, exactly. Like I was eight when I got saved. Didn't get serious with, like I would say, get serious with God until I was 12. Probably. Yeah, same. Like seventh, eighth grade. And I feel like before then I wasn't like it was like it was like, okay, God, thanks for my free ticket to heaven. And yeah, I mean I'll read that thing on Sundays. God, you made me. I love you. You love me. Happiness. Now I'm gonna go live my life. Right. Now I'm gonna do whatever I want. Like I know eating that cookie that was supposed to be for Ireland is bad, but God loves me anyway, you know? Yeah, and while that's true, God also doesn't want you to do that. Like, And when we talk about getting serious, it's moving past that mindset. And what happens so often is, and I think where we've gone wrong is that's where we've gotten stuck. We've taken our, okay, so this is kind of a tangent, but it's related, so it's fine. Um, In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis um, has a whole chapter about, um, you know, when God calls us to have childlike faith. Yeah. Okay. Well, he talks about the whole difference between childlike and childish. Oh yeah. See, a childlike faith is the faith that is open and moldable and grateful and loving, but childish is what I've just explained. It's, you know, there has to be a point in our life when we take our childish faith and we move it to childlike faith. Open and good, but children are also inquisitive and curious, and they just, they want to know more about everything around them. And I'm not sure if in your translation it says this, but um, a lot of times he keeps calling us, he says, little children or my dear little children or children, you know? And I was like, Hmm, I wonder what that is. So I go and I open up some commentary and I was like, Oh, that makes so much sense because he keeps calling us children because we're still in like the baby stages of our faith, you know? Uh huh. That's when we're still like when we're reading this, it's, you know, we'll never know enough. And so when he says my my children or my dear ones, he's saying like not he's not really necessarily putting himself above, but he's saying, like, you have so far to go, but here's the basics, here's the beginning, here's where to start. Yeah. Um that 
I feel like I was wondering why he called them little children. And I was like, wait, it's like, because it's not his children. It's the church. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. Okay. So, you know how it says, like, it says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And I was thinking, like, loving when it's hard and choosing, like, Mm -hmm. choosing that is us trying to, like, step into the light. And it's just staying in the light, if that makes sense. Like when we make that choice, mm-hmm. even when it's hard, which don't make that choice near enough, but <laughs> I I know what you mean. So I was thinking, it's not something like, oh, if you never do something wrong, you're in the light. And if you do anything wrong, you're in the darkness. Because like if you repent from that and you try, like you're still in the light, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, that's all I had on that one. All right, cool. Um, so in 18 and 19, and hold on, let me find them. It says, dear children, this world's last hour has come. You've heard about the Antichrist who is coming. The one who is against Christ and already made a person and already many such persons have appeared. This makes us all the more certain that the end of the world is near. These against Christ people used to be members of our churches, but they never really belonged to us or else they would have stayed. When they left us, it proved that they were not one of us at all. Okay, so in, I was like, okay, this whole Antichrist. And so I get to thinking and I'm like, wait, John wrote Revelation. And I was like, oh, duh, the Antichrist is probably in Revelation. Anyway, not the point. That was kind of like, yeah. Um, And so... I use my favorite commentary. It's called Enduring Word. And a man named David Guzik, he said, this is his quote. It says, essentially, the Antichrist is a world dictator who leads humanity into what seems to be golden age until he shows his true colors. The judgment of God is poured out upon him and his empire immediately before the return of Jesus. Yeah. So. Except for that I don't, kind of cleared that up for me. That's not the Antichrist he's talking about in First John, I don't think. I think he's talking about false teachers because they're plural. Like, they're yes. false teachers that are now. And then that's going to be like, the Antichrist. Yes, that is the Antichrist. And then in those specific verses, it actually goes on to talk about, like, the Antichrist. But the Antichrist, like, in multiple Antichrist, it is, like... Like it says, it's the one that came from him. Yeah. Okay. So we, that's everything we have. We're running out of time. So time for the random round. Callan, right. would you rather, would you like to start with your random question? Yes, I would. All right. Okay. So this is some multiple choice trivia for you. Ready? Okay. Where did apple pie originate? A. America, B, Asia, or C, England? I'm going to go with England. 
You are correct. Yay. The very first apple pie recipe was, in fact, written in England. But Asians actually were the first to have apples. And I don't really understand, like, the actual whole, like, American apple pie. I guess it's because it's popular here, but it didn't even come from here. So, whatever. Hmm. Anyway, that's that. That was, I almost picked American, but. Like, eh. uh, well, that would be the obvious choice. And if I'd asked that question and it was America, I wouldn't have asked it. Okay. okay, today's Would You Rather is, would you rather send a love letter to the wrong person or misplace Ooh. it? Like, um, well, I'd probably rather misplace it because I could always just rewrite it. And usually when I rewrite things, they're actually better than the first time. Well, I think it'd be the- weird to send a love letter to someone that I didn't or like to the wrong well, person. Well, I think the whole thing with misplacing it is then anybody can pick it up and read it. Yeah. I mean, I guess it would have to depend if I actually knew the person it was actually going to, but I'd have to say I'd probably rather misplace it. Yeah, that's... I. Was- I mean, it was yeah. like, well, I don't really want everybody to read it, but what if you sent yeah. it to some boy and it was like, ah, actually, that was for somebody else. Yeah. So the moral of the story is talk to people in person. Don't send love letters. Exactly. <laughs> okay. I think that's everything. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys.